Hi, everybody. Welcome to North Coast Chronicles podcast, Tales from the Great Lakes. I'm your host, Helen Brohl. Please join me every month on the American Shoreline Podcast Network, or ASPN, as we share the nature, history, folklore, and charm of the Great Lakes, America's fourth seacoast. Want to remind our listeners that we're open to suggestions for topics on this podcast, and of course, sponsors. Just email me at northcoastchronicles at gmail.com. And be sure to check out the entire collection of podcasts on ASPN related to our oceans, coast, and inland seas at coastalnewstoday.com. Today's podcast on North Coast Chronicles is Islands of Sun and Fun. There's still plenty of summer left to visit one of the many islands in the Great Lakes. And Peter Houston from the Great Lakes Islands Alliance is with us today to help us help you find that perfect spot. Thanks for joining us, Peter. Thanks for having me, Helen. And with us, as always, is our trusty engineer and my talented co-producer, Tyler Buckingham. Hey, Tyler, what's going on? Hey, Helen, it's good. How are you? Good, good. Thank you. Um, so, Tyler, I'm going to confess that I have um, listeners, and they're enjoying your participation on the show, and they want to know more about you. So, in particular, with your great radio voice, do you have a background in the business? Not at all. Uh, no, no, <laughs> not at all, Helen. No. I'm, I'm a total... I'm a total uh, self-taught uh, audio guy. Well, well, I'll tell you, you have such, you do have a great voice and it sounds so professional. So I'm not surprised that we got the question. Um, but I, uh, also, uh, let me ask how, uh, this was a question. How does a guy living in Austin, Texas, start a coast-centric podcast network? Well, uh, you know, it's, it's the modern time. So where you are geographically... Uh, has a lot less to do with what you can do in terms of the capability with digital audio. So being in Austin is by no means uh, uh, gets in the way. But, you know, I'm from Southern California. I'm from the coast. And it's I would say it's deep in my blood, the interest in being close to the water and understanding uh, our relationship as people with the water, not unlike Helen, I think your background growing up on the shores of Lake Erie, you know, it's, it just kind of seeps into your soul. Yeah, it, it absolutely does. And um, kind of once you're in it, you're in it. And I think we'll kind of get this feel from Peter as we talk about islands. Um, it's not just living on shoreline. There's also that same kind of feeling of being from an island or being on an island or island attitude. Um, that, that comes with that lifestyle. So I appreciate it. And listen, I thank you. We wouldn't be here without you and your partner, Peter Ravella, for starting the podcast network. Um, I'm going to tell you that I recently um, listened to a podcast that you do with your co-host, Peter Ravella, on your own podcast called American Shoreline Podcast. And it was so amusing to me because it was about the USS Battleship New Jersey. That's a floating museum in Camden, New Jersey. So it kind of surprised me that you're kind of a self-described battleship nerd. What's that about? I mean, I think that battleships are really cool. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I'm interested in history. I was always interested in, you know, like World War II. My grandfather uh, served in the Navy in World War II and was in some major engagements at Okinawa and Iwo Jima. And, um, so I was always, in, and, and he told stories, uh, when I was a kid, which really interested me. Um, and then nowadays YouTube exists, Helen, and it's this amazing tool. I've heard of it. And, and, uh, the algorithm somehow knew that I would be very interested in this crazy curator named Ryan Zemanski, who crawls all over this battleship, this real Iowa class 
battleship that served for decades, but including World War II. She was commissioned in World War II, and I was just taken t- taken up in it. I, I think I've watched a great number of the episodes. And um, so, yeah, I've become kind of a nerd over time uh, following along as these YouTube uh, content creators do the profiles on various ships and take you on tours of museum ships. And I've just become very interested in it. Well, um, it was very interesting. And you had really great questions because you had you know, this interest. Um, I wonder if you remember um, that in your interview with the Battleship New Jersey Museum director, he casually mentioned that they do much more than give tours to fifth graders. Well, I mean, I chuckled because in New Jersey, a lot of safety patrollers are in fifth grade and usually have an end of the year trip. And in fact, my daughter went on such a tour when she was in fifth grade. They were supposed to go to Washington, D.C., but it was after 9-11 and no one wanted to go over the river, I guess, to D.C. back then. And so they went to the um, New Jersey Aquarium and they went to the um, to the battleship uh, uh, New Jersey. Wow. And and yeah, so it's a, a kind of a cute coincidence, but it was pretty new in the, in you know, because I think it's only been around about 20 years as a museum or so. So I don't think it was as spiffed up back then as it is now. Um, and they didn't have those cool, like you said, YouTube videos like today that kind of get you into it and you get to see all the hidden parts of a ship. So I don't think they were as enthralled back then. Um, but um uh, but nevertheless, uh, it certainly was memorable. Now, here's just a simple question. If you had only 30 minutes to visit the battleship, there you're outside the ship, and you only have 30 minutes, where would you run to first? The bridge, no question. I mean, I'm very interested, and, and actually the quarters. So, you know, this was a flagship. Uh, the U, the uh, USS New Jersey was uh, Admiral, Nim, uh, Admiral Halsey's uh flagship during World War II. It was also a flagship during Vietnam, and I believe in Korea as well. So there's admiral's quarters on board, and there's a whole, you know, kind of command uh, office space and and spaces on board. And, and they're restored back to various, you know, the ship served for so long that they've restored these various uh, compartments back to different periods. Some are in Vietnam configuration, some are in the 80s configuration, and some are all the way back to the World War II configuration. But I'm, I mean, I, I think that that's where I would go to just immediately is the bridge. Yeah, I'd be interested to know just how much equipment is still there, original equipment, because a lot of things get taken off right away. But yeah, it is also an interesting place. But a lot of people say the engine room, although I've been in a lot of ship engine rooms, and I'm not an engineer, so they tend to look alike to me. Um, mm-hmm. But they're pretty amazing the structures. Now, anyway, I brought up that segue to mention that there are a lot of really great museum ships in the Great Lakes for all of you naval history buffs. There's um, Lakers, which are the big bulk. A carrier freighters as museums. There's passenger freight steamer museums, passenger and excursion steamers, railroad, railroad and auto ferries. I think that's interesting. Tugboats and workboats, and large government vessels like the U.S. Coast Guard has. But also, drum roll, Tyler. There are naval ships in the Great Lakes. There is the USS Cobia in Manitowoc, Wisconsin. The USS Cod in Cleveland, Ohio. The USS Croker and USS The Sullivans, and the USS Little Rock in Buffalo. There's the HMCS Haida in Hamilton, Ontario, the LST 393 in Muskegon, Michigan, the HMCS Ojibwa, the S-72 in Port Burwell, Ontario, 
the USS Silver Sides in Muskegon, Michigan, and even a U-boat that was in Chicago, Illinois, U-505. You can get on a U-boat in Chicago, Illinois. I've been on that. Me too. Uh, things written in German. <laughs> yeah. So, so they can get in there. It's pretty crazy, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, so there's lots of opportunities um, to see a um, lot of our maritime history on floating museums in the Great Lakes. Let me just jump in on that and double down and say, go to these museum ships because your fee at the door helps maintain them. And a lot of those ships you just went through are World War II era vessels. And they're at that stage, Ryan Zemanski, the curator of New Jersey, talked about this. They're at that stage where they are structurally in need of a lot of work. And it can be quite expensive to dry dock an old warship and give it the TLC that it needs. So absolutely, if you're listening to the show and you have even the the slightest interest in either history or warships, or you've got kids, go to these facilities and support them. And, and they also are looking for volunteers. But any, any sort of support will really help keep these ships going. Yeah, and throw a little extra donation in the box. I think that's always helpful. You're right. It is not cheap to run a floating museum. You know, there's so many other things you have to think about. And um, I think even though it might have an engine that's working, it has to be um, inspected by U.S. Coast Guard, I think, every year. So um, it's just a lot. But anyway, yes, thank you for that plug. I, um, they're great things. Um, now, Tyler, our last episode was called Charting the Great Lakes, and we were joined by Commander Matt Jaskowski from the NOAA ship Thomas Jefferson. And Commander Jaskowski joined us directly from the ship that was surveying off Erie, Pennsylvania, which is at the very east end of Lake Erie. And NOAA was back in the Great Lakes after a 35-year absence and spending the summer surveying the U.S. side of Lake Erie, including parts of the Detroit River. And while it wasn't entirely germane to our episode, Tyler, I afterwards, I kind of wish we'd been able to get a play-by-play from the commander on their trip from Norfolk, Virginia to Cleveland, Ohio, you know, which took them up into the Gulf of St. Lawrence, into the St. Lawrence Rivers, and through all of those locks to get around Niagara Falls into Lake Erie. I mean, that, to me, in and of itself, would have been, been an adventure because nobody on the ship had done it before. No doubt. No doubt. And I, I'm would not be surprised if there's some sort of special tattoo that you get when you do that. <laughs> yeah, kind of like the dressing down when you go over the Arctic Circle. Exactly. Well, there should be, if not. Um, so, But was there anything in particular about that episode that surprised you in the show? Well, I really, well, first of all, uh, the commander was extremely impressive and reminded me of like Captain Picard from Star Trek, you know, just absolutely the model uh, commanding officer. Without the English accent, of course. Of course, of course. And uh, I have to say, I didn't realize how dynamic mapping is, nearshore mapping. Uh, of course, it makes sense when you think about it, but when you want to get into shallower waters, you can't take the big research vessel. And I had no idea that they were using auxiliary vessels with different types of sonar deployed to get into those kind of shallower areas of, of the coastal zone. So I had no idea. It was really interesting to learn kind of how they do it. Yeah, it is both kind of simple in concept and complex. Um, maybe the logistics of it is as complex as the machinery itself um, and how they have to transfer all that stuff. And we think it's just simple. They get all that data, but it has to go through incredible quality control, right? Because it's going to be used for navigation purposes. So, you know, if you wonder why it takes so long to, you know, go from the ship to a chart, it's because they have to make sure that it's good data. And on top of that, 
Um, a lot of people use NOAA data for their own purposes and resell it. So it's hugely important that the base information be um, correct. So um, a lot of products, when you go look at products that tell you, whether it's weather, I mean, AccuWeather is using NOAA products, right, as a third party, and um, uh, people make maps of maps, you know, where are the shipwrecks? And you might use a NOAA map, but you have to make sure that everything is correct on that base map. So um, it's a pretty important job. And I have to agree, he kept the captain, the, the commander who was the commander of the ship. He really was good, well-spoken and uh, really knows his job. This episode of North Coast Chronicles is sponsored by Mission Point Resort. On the sunrise side of Mackinac Island, recently named the number one island destination in the continental United States by Travel and Leisure Magazine, sits Mission Point Resort. Poised on 18 acres overlooking the water's edge, Mission Point attracts travelers craving to reconnect with themselves, their passions, and their surroundings. Whether you're a family looking for an unforgettable summer vacation, a couple longing for a romantic getaway, a professional seeking a meeting space with a picturesque backdrop, or a couple looking for your dream wedding destination, extraordinary Mackinac Island experiences await you at Mission Point Resort. For more information, go to missionpoint.com. Well, our, our longtime listeners know that I spent almost every summer of my life on Middle Bass Island in Lake Erie. We've had many guests who were calling in while on an island in the Great Lakes, including South Bass Island, Beaver Island, Mackinac Island, and Wolf Island. And there are about 35,000 islands around the lakes, all carved from glaciers about 12,000 years ago. There are islands in both the U.S. and Canada, the largest of which is Manitoulin Island on Lake Ontario in the province of Ontario. It is over 1,000 square miles, or 2,700 square kilometers, and is considered the largest lake island in the world, meaning, obviously, it's the largest island that sits in a lake. Most of the islands in the Great Lakes have plenty of black flies and seagulls, but are uninhabited by humans. There are around 85 islands of note, give or take, that are lived on and or visited by people. And it's safe to say that while some islands may share a bit of flavor, each one is unique in its own way and offers a lot of choices for any type of adventure. Now, Peter Houston is the project manager for the Great Lakes Islands Alliance. Thanks again, Peter, for joining us today. Are you, are you calling us from an island in the Great Lakes? Well, yes. I live on South Bass Island, or sometimes known as Putten Bay. Well, um, great. And by the way, the sound is terrific. I have to say, you may be the first person calling from an island who didn't have to call in. So you must have really good connections today. We're so pleased. You sound great. Um, um, let me first ask, what does it mean to be the project manager for the Great Lakes Islands Alliance? Well, I'll tell you, we were really fortunate uh, a year ago to be able to get a grant from the Mott Foundation to be able to fund my position because prior to that, it, it was all just volunteer time. So my job is to try to uh, grow the alliance and to be able to uh, find ways for us to connect islands together uh, through mutual need, through mutual uh, discovery, through the idea of helping to share uh, solutions and problems among our island members. And I've been really fortunate uh, in the last year or so to be able to, to travel to several of the islands in the Great Lakes. Well, aren't you lucky? I think that sounds like a wonderful job. And now, let me just ask, the Great Lakes Islands Alliance, do you refer to it as the Alliance, the GLIA, or the GLIA? How do you, how do you refer to it? Well, it's easiest to remember it as GLIA. There are a lot of GL organizations. And <laughs> so, so GLIA is one that usually sticks with people. But otherwise, I just call it by its full name, Great Lakes Islands Alliance, so that people know who we are. 
Well, thanks. I'll try to figure it out. I, I know that when people use acronyms, sometimes you forget at the end of the presentation what the acronym stood for. So we'll kind of switch back and forth. Now, I noted at the start of the show that islands tend to be unique from one another, but the Alliance makes a really great point that island communities share a number of complex interrelated challenges. What are some of those challenges, Peter? Well, these days, you know, first off, we have the issue with broadband. Here we are talking on the, the computer and it's very uh, uneven from island to island. And that really affects uh, education because, you know, a lot of the islands do have on, on island schools and their, their children aren't getting the same opportunity to be able to interact as other uh, mainland communities. And we talk about a lot about health care. We talk about ferry service. We talk about affordable housing um, and what it takes to, to remain a sustainable community. All of these elements all come together into a discussion of, that is important for people to want to live and work on an island. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to talk about different islands because the size of the island and also has different resources, right? Um, especially healthcare. We talked about that briefly in the past. And and let me give you just a, a quick antidote. I'm sorry, it's a Helen story, but I think it gets to the point. So unfortunately, on my um, vacation at Middle Bass Island, I got I had COVID. No fun, right? Um, and uncomfortable. And lying in the back bedroom by myself, feeling miserable. Um, but I called my doctor in New Jersey. My doctor in New Jersey called the Walmart on the mainland um, of Ohio. It's actually Catawba Island, but it's the mainland, called the Walmart. Um, my brother, Russ, who lives on South Best Island, Putin Bay, where Peter is, said, I might have somebody who can pick it up because they don't deliver. Obviously, they picked it up. He said he called a friend of his who happens to be 90 years old, God bless him. He and his wife are on the mainland. This gentleman goes into Walmart, picks up my medicine. After doing all his errands, he catches a ferry boat to South Bass Island. My brother goes over to the house, helps him put away the groceries, um, and then picks up the medicine, goes down to the boat dock, gets in his boat at nine o'clock at night, comes over to Middle Bass Island, gets in a car that he happens to have at the marina on Middle Bass, drives to the cottage, delivers it, basically threw it on the table so he didn't have to come in the house, and, uh, and an extra um, uh, uh, test kit, a test kit. And turned around and said, see you later. So you have to think about where you're going to be and what your needs are. And for someone um, to say, as a matter of fact, on there is a Facebook page for the island, Middle Bass Island. And someone recently put, is there a pharmacy on the island? What? <laughs> well, no, there's not a pharmacy on the island. And these are the kind of things you have to think about. Um, so not every island in the Great Lakes is a member of the Alliance, right, Peter? But do you share best practices with many other islands, or how do you how do you engage? Well, we yes, there are probably thirty or so islands with year-round uh, residents on them, but we only, we have nineteen of them that are members, and we're continuing to reach out to be able to try to establish uh, communication with some of the other islands as as we grow. But you know, at, at this point. Our, our goal is to continue to be able to share uh, insights and solutions with our, our existing members and to be able to see if we can't try to be able to reach out and talk to some of the other people. You know, sometimes some subjects really, really resonate. This year, 
one of the big island ideas that's been resonating is cruise ships. You know, the cru- there are seven cruise lines in the Great Lakes this, this uh, summer. And, you know, a lot of islands want to know if they can uh, partake in having a cruise ship visit them. So, you know, we do webinars and Zoom calls and uh, invite as many people as we can to join us in that discussion. Do you then kind of accumulate some of these these best practices or ideas and share them? How do you, uh, is that, yeah, how do, you, how do you share? How do they interact to share these really great ideas? Well, the, there's a couple of different things that goes on. We have a, a pretty informative website, the G-L-I-A-L-L-I-A-N-C-E dot org, Glia Alliance, uh, has a lot of uh, information that we've collected, a lot of uh, research that we've done over the last few years since 2017 that's available for anybody to take advantage of. And we're working on being able to establish uh, a way to be able to have um, residual information available on certain topics. And we've we model ourselves after the Island Institute and the Main Island Coalition. They've been sort of our partners uh, in this process. So when we, you know, talk about subjects here, we also can refer people to the uh, Island Institute. And what, matter of fact, uh, earlier this year, one of our island uh, Beaver Islands Island Airways up there was uh, um, used as an example of how a private airline can start. Uh, in in an island uh, business environment. So we, you know, we try to source out whenever people ask some of these solutions, some of them are ours, some of them come from uh, our our partner, uh, the Island Institute. But, you know, our website does have a wealth of information. Thank you. I've been on it. It is a good site. So obviously, islands in the Great Lakes can be very different from one another. But it kind of makes sense that islands can cater to similar types of interests. So let's start with those who might want to take in nature of the region. Like, you know, keeping boating and fishing a bit separate, I keep think of it a little separate. This might include hiking, camping, kayaking, bird watching. Where are those islands in the Great Lakes? Well, you know, there are a lot of islands that really have great uh, bird observatories, which include Pelee Island and Beaver Island, our own South Bass and the, the Bass Islands. Um, if, if being outdoors in a quiet environment where you have, you know, miles and miles of, um, preserved land, you might want to go to Drummond Island, or you might want to go up to Washington Island or, uh, Beaver Island, where there's a lot more elbow room, you know, Pelia as well. And, and, you know, I, all of these islands can be gotten to on a ferry and have, places where you can eat and have a hotel. So you're not left to uh, your own uh, resort. You are able to have some kind of a positive experience on top of your birding experience. Well, um, I know a lot of folks who like the nature and really don't care if there's a place to eat and really don't care if there's a place to stay. So where would you find really that kind of a little more rugged outdoorsmanship? Do you have to go to some of the um, state or federal parks, and where might those be? Well, you know, up the, in the Apostle Islands, of course, Isle Royale is a great place to go, very, very re- remote and with very little support services. And in, in Lake Erie, uh, North Bass with, um, is very, very remote with only a few uh, people who live there. Um, and, and I guess I would still send you back to Peely Island uh, as a, another island in, in, in the Canadian side of things. 
Manitoulin, um, which you, you mentioned is a huge island, has a whole uh, area on its westernmost end of the island where um, there are no people. So any of those places would probably suffice, both Canadian and American. Could you talk about, well, let me just say, Pelion's in Canada and Lake Erie. Beaver Island is in Lake Michigan, right? Correct. And Drummond Island is in where? Well, Drummond is, you know, right on that border between the North Channel that that separates Superior from Huron. Okay. Got it. Thank you. Peter, could you elaborate on the Apostle Islands? Because I I think those are pretty special and pretty unique. Um, could you explain where they are and how you get to them and what's there for you? It's a, it's a, it's is it? It's a federal. It's a park, right? National. Yes, yes. It's a. This is uh, one of the more beautiful, more remote collection of islands uh, up in Lake Superior, very uh, close to Madeline Island, which is a. a year-round community uh, also in Lake Superior. And, and you need to drive, you either have to go through the UP all the way around um, to Minnesota uh, and th- then back into Wisconsin or come up through Wisconsin to be able to get there. And there, there's, you know, a number of places where you can put your boat in. And it's very popular up there with kayakers, especially during the summertime. And, you know, I see there's excursion boats um, that will take you um, from the mainland out to the Apostle Islands to be able to, to day hike, you know, and those services are usually sort of uh, May to October. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. sometimes you got to go pretty far um, to do all of that, but there are some where there's quite a bit of activity um, or quite a bit of nature loving closer. Um, Mackinac Island, we had a show on uh, the Grand Hotel. And the um, the historian for the Grand Hotel talked about the island a little bit. And I was surprised how much of it was actually a state park, how much was covered by state park. Are there state parks in particular that tend to appeal to folks? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the state parks offer, you know, hiking and uh, tourism, uh, guiding, you know, where you're coming in and you're able to learn something specific. I mean, for instance, Kelly's Island has the glacial grooves. Uh, some of them like uh, South Bass and, and all the Bass Islands, the state parks provide camping experiences. And that, that is very desirable for a lot of these islands. Mackinac Island is a very unique uh, place because they've been able to take some of the acreage on that island and include it in their state park system. And it's all accessible by hiking or biking, you know, of course, there are no cars on Mackinac. So it's a it's a entirely different kind of experience. And a lot of times when people go to Mackinac, they they enjoy the beautiful downtown, but rarely do they get a chance to go further. So I would highly recommend if people are, are able to spend a little bit of quality time and go to Mackinac, which was voted the best island uh, in the in the Great Lakes this year by Leisure Magazine that they would, they would really enjoy going there and seeing some of the things. They also have a great state park for the uh, Mackinac Island Fort there, which is part of a American history in the Battle of Lake Erie in the War of 1812. 
Well, you you kind of answered one of the questions I was going to ask, and I you had said a term called accessible history, and I, I love that term. So you just mentioned um, the fort on Mackinac Island and um, also the natural, like the glacial grooves on Kelly's Island. Those are pretty fascinating because they're incredibly big, and you have to imagine big, you know, um, uh, boulders being pulled along by glaciers that scrape all that out. Um, it's hard to imagine, but, and then there are actually like glacial grooves all over the place and certain parts of the, the Great Lakes. Also, there's some islands where you can see um, ancient coral reefs, things like that. I was once on Middle Island, which is uninhabited, full of black flies and seagulls. <laughs> it's just over the border in Canada and Lake Erie. This was, she's 50 years ago, and ran across a seashell, uh, like the imprint of a seashell that was bigger than my flip-flop, that was embedded in into the rock. Um, so you have to imagine those old apiric seas covering all of that area. Um, and there was sea life back then. So there's all kinds of ways to, to, to look at the nature. Um, but accessible history. If someone really is just a history buff, I mean, other than, you know, Tyler's definitely going to check out all the ships and the sh museum ships in the Great Lakes. Um, on an island in particular, what are some of the other you know, kind of um, uh, highlights uh, in the Great Lakes if you're really just a history person? Well, I, I think, you know, it's interesting that you should mention that. But the, of course, South Bass here has the uh, Perry's Victory and International Peace Memorial, which was built in uh, 19... 13 to be able to commemorate the Battle of Lake Erie, the, you know, the War of 1812 uh, was uh, fought and spread from island to island. And there's some remnant of that uh, on many of the islands, including Pelee here on South Bass, uh, Mackinac, Drummond, uh, St. Joseph's Island. They, they all had little bits and pieces of that. And there are still historic forts that are on Drummond. There's a historic fort on St. Joseph's Island up in uh, Canada. And, you know, of course, if you're, if you're really interested in that, you might also want to go to Washington Island. They have a great history museum there, uh, a maritime museum. So you could almost pick your island and find that there's going to be some aspect of uh, history that's available to be retold. And I think that's, to me, that I'm a history person. That, that's one of the things that makes this all really fun to do. And, you know, beyond that, of course, here in the, the Lake, Erie, Lake Erie Islands, we were all about growing grapes and making wine. So there are remnants of these uh, 100 year plus year old uh, wineries and wine cellars that, you know, are fun to discover if you're out uh, and about, you know, and North Bass Island, which is one you've probably been, has a whole bunch of real cool things you can discover. Kelly's Island has a uh, ancient, really old uh, winery that has been, the, they preserve the wine cellar and uh, use it for special events. So kind of depends on, on what area of history you want to find, but we can point you in the right direction. What's that, the little island off of Detroit or near Detroit in the Detroit River that had some Civil War history? Well, you're, are you talking about Harsons Island? I think so. Hi, yeah, Harsons is a very popular destination, and they were like the boaters' destination during the steamship era from people from Detroit. And so a lot of, a lot of people uh, went up there and uh, spent their summers. And still to this day, it, it is a very, very quiet 
um, bedroom community summer island. Is it though? I'm thinking about the the island that actually housed um, Confederate um, soldiers. Um, You're thinking of Johnson's Island, which was that's here in Lake Erie. Johnson's Island was where the the jail was, where uh, mostly officers who had been captured during uh, the Civil War were kept locked up. And there was uh, an, an effort by a group of Confederate s- soldiers. They made their way up and tried to attack Johnson's Island to uh, be able to spring all those prisoners. It failed, but it it was probably the closest that we came in this area to an actual uh you know, battle or, or, you know, small excursion that where there was some fighting that was related to the battle and to the Civil War. Yeah, I haven't been there, but I, I have an interest to go there. Um, a lot of uh, parts of the islands were settled during that era, you know, that late 1800s, mid to late 1800s. And uh, so you get a, a sense of, of that in other areas. Um, let's go back to boating and fishing. Just because you have a boat, and you're going to islands doesn't mean you have a place to dock, right? Not all islands have marinas or, or places, public docks. So if you're boating, fishing type out on the water, where's the best place, the most popular places for boating? You indicated uh, that one of the islands in um, Detroit was very popular in the steamship boat era. Um, what's popular today? Well, I, I have to say that if you're a boater, you're going to probably want to go to a place with transient dockage, places where you can call a marina and be able to get, you know, overnight accommodations or overnight uh, tie-ups. Places like uh, South Bass, which here has um, probably 700 or so transient dock slips, are high on the list of people with what I would call destination boaters. Um, Mackinac is high on that list for, again, for destination boaters. And if you're going into Canada, Gore Bay, which is in Manitoulin, is a beautiful, uh, very, very nice uh, marina uh, on the middle northern part of Manitoulin, as well as uh, just a little bit further west. Drummond Island has a has an amazing, I just saw this this last week, place called Yacht Haven. I haven't seen a more pristine, more beautiful transient dockage marina uh, anywhere that I've been so far like this one that's on Drummond. Yeah, wow. It does sound wonderful. Um, and and again, you know, not every island wants transient boaters. Not everybody, um, you know, there's just that are really just residential. But before I go off into residential type islands, fishing, um, are there um, islands that really like the, you know, in the charter, have a lot of charters and uh, or claim to have the best fishing? Well, you know, the, the different lakes have different types of fishing. And, and of course, it, the depth and the te- temperature really affect the things that people are, are interested in. So it, it's hard to say that you wouldn't have a good experience if you were in Lake Superior versus Lake, you know, Ontario, but there are, but they're different. And that's the thing, you know, so if you're a really, you know, a, 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 you know, accomplished fisherman, you probably want to go to, you know, here, just close by here, where the uh, bridge co- connects Catawba uh, Island to the mainland, there's cat fishing. And in the winter, you know, there's places where you might go for perch fishing or for walleye. And, you know, there's 
of bass tournaments. And I know over in Sandusky, which is real close to Kelly's Island, they had a big bass tournament this year. So I'm, I'm personally not a fisherman. I'm a sailor. <laughs> so I, I find other places that I'm attracted to. But I, I talking to people when I go to these islands, I hear over and over people talking about the fishing industry, you know, and local fishing being a key part of their attraction. And so, again, places like Drummond and Washington Island really attract a lot of people during the summertime who are interested in that kind of thing. And, and you know, you, you could probably point to just about any island that has uh, a place in a, with a dock that somebody is fishing. So we talked about there's resident islands that are more residential. But first, let me ask you, there are islands actually owned, right, by just a couple of people or one person? Mm-hmm. Um, that you call them more private islands and no one visits. Then there are some private islands where people do visit. Like there's an island in Lake Erie called Rattlesnake Island and there's a club on it. It's like a a Rattlesnake Island club and it's like a mini resort. And so people become members and they go visit there. Um, But where are there a lot of privately owned islands such that you really don't go on them and, and talk to people that they're really just owned by one or two people or families? Well, I'll tell you something. I, it was just uh, up uh, in the Lachino Islands, which are uh, kind of between Cedarville and Hessel, last weekend for the uh, um, Hessel Antique Boat Show, which is one of the premier uh, wooden boat shows in America. And the Lachino Islands, they're part of the, the Niagara Escarpment. And if you look at them, it looks like a bear claw had dragged its claws through land and turned them into these islands. And so if you go way back to, you know, the, the industrial time period, you had the Sinclairs and the Rockefellers and the, the Singers and all of these really well-to-do families who bought up these islands and built their summer homes. And, and today... In the Lachino Islands, there's an island called Marquis Island, which is just very similar to what you were just describing with Rattlesnake. A private club, not invited. You know, they have their own people. They have their own shuttle to be able to take people back and forth to uh, uh, Hessel or to Cedarville. And it's gorgeous and it's beautiful. And, and you can spy these beautiful homes along the shorelines, but they're not uh, open to the public. So could you say it's Hasselville? Hessel or Cedarville. Cedarville. And where is that located? So you go over the Mackinac Bridge, um, past St. Ignace, and then you take a ride on M134. And uh, it's about 20 minutes off of uh, Route 75. And again, uh, the Lachino Islands are, are sort of a, a part of the eastern UP. As, and as you keep on heading to the, the tip of the eastern UP, that's where you come to Detour, which is where the ferry goes out to Drummond. And, you know, other islands that are up in that area of similar, uh, you know, quietness include Sugar Island and Nebish Island, which are, again, very, very um, non-destination islands. People go there. They love to be there. They're not excited about having tourists come and visit them. So so you kind of went to Nebish Island. Another story. Sorry about that. I was on the Coast Guard Cutter Healy up in the Arctic. And the XO, second in command, was a woman. And I, I did a kind of a, a – I interviewed a lot of people on the boat and we published it. Um, but this woman, um, her – I said, how did you get 
into the Coast Guard. She goes, because her family owned a ferry boat operation to Nebish Island. And I honestly didn't really know Nebish Island. I've since looked it up. So let's let's talk about those islands that tend to be um, in that whole uh, St. Mary's River kind of area, um, um, I guess between Lake Huron and Lake Superior. Tell me, tell me about that area. And are they small islands? They don't seem to be far from the mainland. Yeah, I mean, you know, the thing about the, the islands that are in that in the St. Mary's River is that they're sort of framed by the upbound and downbound channels for all of the freighters that go, you know, from the Lake Ontario all the way to Duluth. And so there's a lot of uh, commercial freighter traffic that goes through there every day. And if you live on one of those islands, you're probably uh, a boat nerd, you know, you know that website. You're probably watching who's coming by, and you could be extremely influenced by that commercial traffic. And so the Coast Guard and the the uh, Royal Mounted uh, Police both have uh, um, boats that go up and down the St. Mary's River, you know, cruising, looking for issues that need to be dealt, dealt with. And the people who live on those islands, you know, are served by these ferries, part of the Eastern UP ferry system, which is sort of a quasi-public uh, uh, service for these islands, but they see a lot of boat traffic going by. And I, you know, I know how you could feel like it'd be more like a river, but they have such great uh, def- definition between them and the mainland. And, and they we're talking about Nebish and Sugar and St. Joseph's Island. And each one of them has something very unique. And uh, St. Joseph Island has two or three little communities on it and lots of, of private land. And that's where the, uh, there's a, the St. Joseph uh, Fort is on there. One of the last remnants of the, the fort is left from that war of 1812 period. And so I, you know, when I went up there, I was kind of thinking, you know, well, but this isn't going to feel like an Island, but when you're there and you're on the Island, you really do feel like you're separated completely from the mainland. These residential islands, and there's a lot of them, like you said, they're not really tourism islands for the most part. And um, people can buy a house and live there. Um, Do you think, I mean, I think that the winters can be pretty harsh up in the lakes. And, but yet I'm surprised to hear that more people are living year round on these islands. Um, and again, I think a lot of these islands we're talking about, they're not big. They don't have a lot of amenities. Maybe there's a little general store or grocery store. Maybe there's a bar or a restaurant. There's not lots and lots of that. I mean, it's not like you're you're going there to just hang out and have a good time. You're really going there to enjoy the peace and quiet of the island. So uh, do you live year-round on South Bass Island? And uh, if someone were thinking of buying a place on an island in the Great Lakes, what are the, some of the things you would you would advise them about? Well, I think if the first thing you need to do is to look at what the ferry transport system looks like, you know, because a lot of these islands, especially the ones in the EU, Eastern UP, do have really consistent year-round ferry service. And that's a primary thing, because if you have a chronic healthcare I- issue and you need to get to a doctor in person, as opposed to just doing the, the, uh, electronic version like you were talking about earlier today that that's a key point to, to know about and secondly if you are living on an island 
you want to be able to find a place um, where you can have access to the internet. And I think for most people who are relocating, and there were quite a few that I heard about during the end of the pandemic period here that have looked at being able to work from an island, it, it gives you a sense of um, quiet, uh, maybe a, a sense of security because you feel like you can kind of control the environment a little bit, especially we did here on South Bass during the middle of the pandemic because the uh, ferry company was willing to be able to curtail services except for essential workers. And so because of that, because of those kinds of things, people are starting to move towards these islands. But the key issues, you can get over supplies, you know, logistics um, by pre-buying and hauling your food in and putting it in a freezer. You may need to have a generator, but you want to have some social interaction. And so you're also going to look for something like, you know, the Lions Club or, you know, a friendly group of people that get together from a church group or a men's club or something that helps you to be able to have ties with your community. And I can tell you, uh, Helen, from living here on South Bass for almost 17 years now, that winter life is very rewarding. It's an opportunity to be able to know people on your island in a different way because there's a different, there's a lot less stress on people during the wintertime than there is in the summer where everybody's hustling to try to be able to make their living. Yeah, I have lived there, lived over there only one winter, but it was a pretty profound time. Um, it is very different, and um, there's actually nothing more charming than when the whole place is covered with snow and there's hardly anybody around. You know, uh, I will say the downside is every time you pass somebody, you have to wave to them. <laughs> it's like, you know, even if there's only 300 people left on the island, you're waving to everybody as I go by all the time, every day. Um, but I, I'm teasing, of course. It's 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 part of that camaraderie of, of sharing a, a common interest and a, a, ro- a remote place. Um, Can I tell you a middle bass story? Sure. So a few years ago, and this is probably going back maybe 20 years, 15 years ago, there were 25 people living on Middle Bass one winter, and they all were jonesing for pizza. And so they called up Pizza Hut over in Port Clinton. They said, how much would it cost to be able to get a pizza delivered? And they said, well, how many pizzas do you want? And so they said, well, if we got one pizza for everybody, would you pay for the shipping to come over on the uh, Griffin Airways? And they said they would. And that was probably the you know one of the first times I've ever heard where people had to to negotiate to get their pizzas and, and for a long time pizza was not something that you could even get you know here on the island in the winter time so it was a real special treat for everybody when they were able to do that yeah that's pretty charming they had to call up the local airline uh, to make a delivery um, yeah when when my kids were little and we were there my daughter at the time was way into Harry Potter and the last recent book had come out and it's a real big thick book and we had ordered it and um but i knew it we would be home so i had it sent to middle bass island and the problem was they they the airline did have it and they were going to drop it off 
but we didn't have a, a um, answering machine. This was before cell phones. We didn't have an answering machine. So they couldn't leave a message saying they had it. And then I finally called them and said, hey, what's going on? They said, we've been trying to get a hold of you. We have it. We got a plane coming over now. We went to, back then, it, there wasn't a really, there was just more of a, a grass airfield. We walked up there and literally the guy came out of the, the thing, threw the book on the ground, got back to the plane and left. And like, oh, we got it. Okay. It's, you know, so you have to be flexible and, and think all of that stuff is, is worth it and um, find the charm and all of that. Um, so we are to like the party time. So a lot of people go to islands for sun and fun, but especially fun. So where are the party places in, uh, in the Great Lakes and Islands? Well, uh, I think the places in, in Lake Erie that, that we've talked about a little bit, Kelly's Island is a very, very popular boater destination. A lot of people love to go there during the summertime. They have a beautiful beach on the north side there. So if you're a beach person, that's something you want to go to. Uh, of course, South Bass Island is uh, known for its 25 restaurants and 50 some odd bars. And it's very much a busy place during the summertime. And if you kind of you know move your way through some of the other uh, islands, go up to uh, Harsons Island, which we were talking about. They're famous for what they call the Jobby Nooner, which is an event that takes place in June. With it's the biggest boat rafting event they claim in the country, where everybody gets together for a weekend uh, off the coast of Harsons. And, uh, you know, if you're, especially if you're a sailor or a boat, you know, boater, Mackinac Island um, is the host of several big uh, races, one from Chicago and one from Detroit, that where the destination, you know, is to get to the Mackinac Island uh, Yacht Club for cocktails. Um, and if you are also interested in boating, uh, as I mentioned to you before, Lake Cheneau Islands, known for all of their beautiful uh Historic antique boats they have two beautiful marinas up there. Uh, great places to visit. So there's there's no shortage of places that you know. And we were talking about this before. You have to find the transient uh, dockage, and those are the places that I've discovered where there's fun in the sun. And one oh, and one other island that you might want to go to that doesn't really have a year-round population is Manitou, which is off the coast of the, where the Sleeping Bear Dunes are in Lake Michigan. And they have, uh, were just recently listed as having the best uh, beach anywhere uh, uh, in the Great Lakes. So if depending on whether it's beaching or partying or boating, one of those places is going to suffice. Uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of a lot of beautiful places. I mean, how could it get any better? First of all, Peter, he had me at cocktails. And secondly, could it get any better? Um, you know, getting a really great dinner, going to watch the sunset, um, having an after dinner drink somewhere, hanging out on your boat or, uh, you know, in a, in a nice little cabin or um, hotel. Um, listen, this is a sidebar question. Are there like Airbnbs and things like that on these islands and rentals? Yeah, I mean, I, you're going to find that on most of the islands, they have some form of short-term housing available through an agency, a real estate company, Airbnb, VRBO, and you know, they have there are resorts, there's campgrounds. I haven't found an island yet that doesn't have a campground. So, you know, if there's a campground, usually there's a, some sort of a resort or cabins that are available. 
So it's really just sort of a, a process of exploration. You say, hey, what, what island do I want to go to? And, you know, I'll tell you, Helen, one of the things that I find that's interesting to me is that when people find their getaway, they're loyal to it year after year. And you'll see people who found, the, you know, the campground or the place that they want to be, and they just keep coming back because there's something intrinsic about the island life about especially during the summertime to be able to connect to that remote feel and the beauty that you get um, that's only really uh, ever present uh, in the water reflections that, that come from islands. So I think that once you find your place, you're going to love living or spending time on an island in the Great Lakes in the summer. Well, well said, Peter. Um, I couldn't say it any better. Um, island living is pretty special, as you can imagine. But when we think about island living, we tend to think of the Caribbean. But um, the Great Lakes, uh, I say it over and over again, are beautiful and they're extraordinary, both in winter and in summer and fall in the spring. I am particularly like the springtime, um, excuse me, the fall. I, I think if you want to go to some of these islands that tend to be busy in the summer, um, boy, they used to be where... Labor Day would come and go, and then things would be quiet, but not so much anymore. There's still a lot going on in September and October. Um, you might have to wear a sweater, um, and you might not get in the water by you know the middle of October. But at the same time, there's a lot of really great stuff going on, and boy, are they beautiful too. Um, that's when the trees are turning. Some of the most beautiful photographs that you see, um, and, and especially of lighthouses and, and other historical scenes in the Great Lakes are done in the fall with the leaves around them and just beautiful. So it, uh, it isn't just um, for summer anymore. You know, I was going to just say that some of the islands have very special camps or programs. Like, for instance, Madeline Island uh, has a a music summer camp, beautiful, where people go f mostly to be able to learn or to be able to uh, develop classical uh, music styles. And then on Beaver, they have a, an incredible uh, festival called Bro Baroque on Beaver, where it starts, I think, in a couple of days, where, where people come there, sp you know, specifically because they're Baroque fans. And, and so there, there's these little niches of entertainment that you can discover that the individual islands have helped to, to develop to be able to bring people to their island. Thank you. Um, uh, in addition to going to your website to learn about the islands that are members, how would you recommend um, people learn other than get in the car and go in order to find out? It's a big area, right? So you kind of hard to do a complete circle tour in one trip. But um, how would you recommend? I mean, just really literally go just to the uh, travel um, sites because they're listed? Well, you know, I, I, I guess if you're so inclined, you might want to try doing cruising. You know, the, the cruise ships are in the Great Lakes. They are really providing people with new eyes to be able to see um, much more than what had been available for many, many years. You know, the, there are so many great tours. There's a tour you can do from Toronto through the rivers on the Georgian Bay on a riverboat, basically. And you can do, as you mentioned before, I think earlier, there's the overnight excursion ferry that uh, goes across Lake Michigan. If you just pick one of these items or try to locate some place that's within your 
time frame, you know, because I, I think a lot of times today that people who are looking for vacations have a limited amount of time. So I, I call it the, the tank away. You know, how far can I get on a tank of gas and where is that going to take me? And just kind of take, you know, and swing a, a circle around where that takes you to and see what's available. You know, if you live in uh, Wisconsin, you may be able to make it to Beaver Island or you may, may want to go to Washington Island or you may want to go to Madeline uh, because those are easier uh, destinations to get to. And it it does take a dedication to travel. And I was, like I said, I just was came back from Le Chineau and Drummond. And it's for, for me to get there, it was about seven and a half hours to get to Le Chineau. So if that's too far for you to drive, I would recommend trying to go to Lake Sinclair or to Georgian Bay, you know, to cross over at Windsor and drive up uh, the east, eastern shore or go to Tobermory and take the, the ferry to Manitoulin. There, there are a lot of choices that are all within that tank away drive. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, again, you know, we're all about talking about how wonderful the Great Lakes is and how much it has to offer. But golly, there's a lot of choices um, to find your spot and find your island in the Great Lakes. So we really encourage you to do that. And um, and while you're at it, uh, visit a, a floating ship museum <laughs> in the Great Lakes as well. Um, and uh, uh, I got, thank you so much, Peter. I really appreciate you taking time to join us. I learned a lot and uh, can't wait to expand my horizons on islands in the Great Lakes. Well, thank you, Helen, for having us. And, you know, one of my favorite floating museums is the USS Brig Niagara, which happens to be here in the harbor here at Putin Bay this weekend. Uh, they'll be headed back to Erie. And if you're ever in Erie, you really should take the time to go and uh, get a deck tour on the USS Brig Niagara. And we just should mention that it is a recreation of the Brig Niagara uh, that Commodore Perry used in the Battle of Lake Erie in the War of 1812. Um, yes, it is, looks really cool. I got a great picture of it as it was passing by an island where we are in Middle Bass and um, looks quite beautiful. This wraps up another episode of North Coast Chronicles, Tales from the Great Lakes. Send me your comments, ideas for future podcasts, or to be a sponsor to northcoastchronicles at gmail.com. The views of this podcast are mine and do not necessarily reflect the views of the U.S. Department of Transportation. Join us next time on North Coast Chronicles as we investigate the location and lore of shipwrecks in the Great Lakes. Until then, be good to one another.